Thank you, Dan. Appreciate that. Actually, both of those things that he talked about are part of the uh, coming to fruition of the transitional process because not only did I begin here way back when, it seems, uh, but right before COVID, I guess there was a time before COVID, after COVID, but um, it was to help you build uh, toward calling a pastor and working on the issues that we needed to address and consider as God was leading us uh, to be a church, a faithful church, an essential church, a kingdom-focused church, and that was exciting. So now we've gotten to that process where we're looking to develop the uh, pastor search committee um, for the church to begin to look for that man that God has already prepared and getting ready to call to come here and serve uh, in this community among, among the church. But also the work of the uh, teams that came together and started to work on communication and organizing and things like that was also a direct result of the transitional process. So God is blessing us. And I like to think also that the baptisms that we've had are part of that, as well as God's grace and love for us um, in, in the ministry. You know, the Baptist church has two ordinances. We, we call them commandments or ordinances. We don't usually use the word sacraments. Uh, because actually in either of those two, there's nothing super sacred about it that does something mysteriously. But they are symbols or memorials or better still ordinances that we believe God commanded us to follow through Jesus Christ. And uh, one of those is the Lord's Supper. We tend to do that a little more often. We do that once a quarter. Um, in the establishment of the Last Supper before Jesus was crucified, he commanded uh, his people to observe that, that memorial. He said, this do or do this in remembrance of me. So we come together and we celebrate the Lord's Supper. We focus on the meaning of it. It's a very much a symbol, uh, very much a, a memorial to what Jesus has done for us on the cross and we get to see that more often. Uh, the second ordinance is the fact that in the Great Commission, Jesus told us to go out and make disciples. And in the process of making disciples, which we studied in the transitional focus team, is also to baptize them. So we believe in, in baptism, baptism by immersion uh, of believers, individuals who have come to know faith in Christ. Uh, we don't baptize um, children or other individuals who cannot make that decision. We like to follow the scriptures and we believe the scriptures teach us that baptism is by immersion and it is believers baptism. That means that those who go through the waters of baptism have come to believe in Jesus Christ received him as the Lord and Savior, trust him, know him as the Son of God, and have trusted him to save them from their sins and to help them live uh, through this life as servants and of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And uh, that ordinance also is a symbol, and it points to what has happened internally by the outward proclamation of being dunked, if you will, Baptists have often been called dunkers or dunkards and dunk them in the water because the word baptism literally means to sink a ship. 
So I haven't heard of any ships that got sunk by sprinkling water on them. You got to go down underneath the water and come up because of the great symbolism and the great moment that it talks about in scriptures about the meaning of baptism. And I wanted to share that with you this morning. When we do the Lord's Supper, I tend to, uh, we tend to have a sermon on the Lord's Supper. So it's always great to have a sermon on baptism when we have a baptism. Because it's important for us to study the scriptures and understand the meaning and the symbol of this ordinance, the second one of the Baptist church. That's why we get called Baptist, because we believe in believer's baptism. So I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Romans 6, chapter 6, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 13. Now, Paul is a tremendous writer. He has written to the church at Rome. And he wants them to understand that faith or righteousness, righteousness comes by faith in Jesus Christ. You don't earn it because of who you are. You don't earn it because of what you do. You earn it because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And as we come to Christ in faith, we receive our salvation. And as Paul is writing to the church at Rome. He's laying out this argument that our righteousness comes through our faith in Jesus Christ, in what Jesus did for us in dying on the cross. So in chapter 6, Paul begins to share with them about baptism. And he has in the back of his mind, it's important to understand, as we look at chapter 6, these 13 verses, we have to think about Paul seems to be visualizing baptism and what that means. The symbolness, it's, it's, what it symbol, uh, symbolizes, that's the word I want. What it symbolizes, what it points to, what it suggests to us in terms of our faith in Jesus Christ. There are some uh, denominations who believe that the baptism actually saves you, but that doesn't happen. We don't believe that. We believe it's a symbol of what Christ has already done in your hearts. And those who came this morning, the four of those who came this morning and were baptized, were publicly testifying of what Christ has done in their hearts. And so Paul is going to share that here with the church at Rome. And he does so with us to help us deepen our faith and to learn a little bit more about what baptism is. So there's three parts that we want to talk about here. And we're going to go through these parts one at a time and we'll look at the scripture verses connected so we get the full effect, I think, of understanding the symbol and what baptism means. So the very first one is the dead past. So Paul wants us to understand that just like human life, there is a spiritual life, and that spiritual life considers, uh, uh, consists of life or death. And spiritual death is terrible and bad, but there is a good death that we need to experience that baptism actually symbolizes. So let's look at these first three verses. Paul says, what should we say? He's been talking about sin and the fact that there is more sin, more grace can abound. But he says, what should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? And he answers, no, absolutely not. 
how can we who died to sin still live in it? Or are you unaware of all of, that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Now, what Paul's trying to do is to argue with the Romans, the believers in Rome, that they shouldn't keep sinning. Somebody said, well, if we sin, that's okay. That means God's got more grace to give to us. And we can ask God. We take advantage of God. We, we do whatever we want. Then we come to him and think he's obligated to us to forgive us. You know, because that's his character. And so we impose upon that. And we think we can get away with a lot of stuff because, well, God's going to forgive us. He's got grace. And Paul says, no, 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 no. You got that wrong. The Christian life is not going about your merry own way, doing whatever you want to do from Monday to Saturday, then coming to church on Sunday and saying, God, I know I'm a sinner, forgive me. And God's up there and goes, forgiven, and you're okay for another week to do whatever you want to do. Paul's saying that's not the effective, that's not the deep, that's not the most promising, it's not even really what the Christian life is supposed to be about. Paul wants us to understand that there is something that has happened to us that is symbolized by baptism when we have come to Christ Jesus. And he says that there in, in verse 2. You know, how can we who died to sin still live in it? So the question is, how did we die to sin? He said in verse 3, are you aware or unaware that actually if you were baptized into Christ Jesus, you were baptized into his death. Now, what does that mean? Well, Paul wants us to understand that when we come to Christ, that old sinful nature, and we give to Christ that old sinful nature, and it dies, just as D Jesus died on the cross. He died on the cross to forgive us of our sins, to pay the penalty for our sins, and to help us have newness of life. So when we go up into the waters of baptism and after the questions are asked, uh, in this case by Jacob, and they were answered, he said, upon your testimony, I now baptize you, my sister, my brother, in, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And when he laid them down in the water, it's like a watery grave and you die to your sinful self. Just as Jesus died on the cross. The symbolism is something has changed. Something has been left behind. Something has been accomplished by the very death of Jesus on the cross. When we think about it, Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. Jesus died on the cross to give us everlasting life. Jesus died on the cross to restore and reconcile our relationship to God the Father. When we get up there in the baptism and publicly are baptized, we are saying that individual who believes in Jesus Christ has now died to themselves and they've been buried in the water. That's what symbolism is. That they are crucified with Jesus on the cross, their self, and given to Jesus. And the symbolism is that they are dead to that old life. That's the dead past. There's something different now. A person comes to know Christ as Lord and Savior. Their life has changed. They are now serving a new master, a new Lord. Not their sinful self, not sin itself. They are serving Jesus Christ. And Paul says, look, did you not realize that when you were baptized, 
you were symbolizing that you did the same thing that Jesus did on the cross. And sin is now no longer your master. You are dead to sin. You don't have to follow it. You don't have to let yourself do what you want to do. You can do what Jesus wants you to do. You can go and let God direct you and guide you. Through Christ, we have died to sin, so we cannot live with sin anymore. That sin is dead. All of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. In fact, what Paul is trying to say, when you look at baptism, the symbolism is that you are now dead to sin. But Jacob's doing pretty good, and I've so far in my life done pretty good. We never lost anybody in the baptism, right? We never have drowned anybody. We never couldn't, you know, find them up there anywhere. We were always able to bring them up out of the water, right? So bringing them up out of the water symbolizes the new creatures that we are in Christ. In a way, you could say the water washes us clean. The water takes away that taint of sin. But we're dead to our old nature, dead to sin, dead to the, the, the kind of life that, was, that didn't please God, that was turned away from God, that, that fleed God and, and allowed sin to lead us and guide us and control us, that we're dead to, but we're going to be raised again to newness of life. So he says all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. This death on the cross made it possible for us to be new creatures. And of course, coming up out of the water symbolizes the coming of newness of life. And some people, some pastors, actually say when they baptize, we are baptizing you, you know, dead in the, in, bury you in Christ and rising, raising you to walk in newness of life. Newness of life. Because Paul says that in the second section. So he's saying, first of all, you're dead. In the past, and that's what our people did this morning. That symbolism, dead to themselves, dead to sin, and now they're going to be raised to walk in newness of life with Jesus Christ. This section in chapter four, verse ten, Paul contrasts back and forth, back and forth, that whole understanding: dead to sin, newness of life; dead to sin, alive to God. Dead to sin, walking as new creatures, reconciled to, G to God through Jesus Christ to live in a glorious future. Because now that they are dead, they have an eternal life to walk with Jesus Christ. And that future is glorious because it's lived in the glory of God. It's lived as disciples. It's lived as we deepen our hearts spiritually to please God, to walk with him, to allow Christ to be our Savior and our Lord. So Paul begins to contrast these things, and he says this in verse 4. Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism in depth. He goes on to follow up on what he had said in verse 3. In order that, and here comes the contrast, we were buried with Christ um, in, in baptism unto death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we, so we too, may walk 
in newness of life. Do you get the picture? you get the symbol? Dead to sin, raised to life in Jesus Christ. That's amazing. That's just a wonderful symbolism of what God has done in our hearts. And the proclamation of those who were baptized, and we, if we've been baptized, is the same thing. We're dead to our sin, and we're going to walk in newness with Jesus Christ. He goes on with the contrast in verse 5. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, what does he say? We will certainly also be in united with him in the likeness of his resurrection. You know, God raised Jesus from the dead. The, the Bible says he's the first fruits, first one. By God to raise from the dead, to be risen from the dead, to walk as our Savior and our Lord. And we have that promise. Not only is this a promise for right now, which we'll talk about in a few minutes because... We live right now in the present with Christ, but it's a promise for the future because God is never going to leave us or forsake us. Jesus may come. The Bible tells us that he's coming again. And we say, Lord, Maranatha, come quickly to take us to be with him forever and, and to be part of the kingdom of God. But if God the Father tarries in sending the Son, then one of the things that happens, besides that noise, which I don't know exactly what that is, um, one of the things that will happen if we lay down our old bodies, this corrupt body, in death, we have the promise that we'll be raised again in the resurrection with Jesus Christ. And that's a wonderful promise. That's a, that's a promise of a future that's to be glorious. I mean, we know loved ones that have gone on. We've heard of others that have passed. But if they know Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior, that isn't it. There are people out there who call themselves nihilists. Have you ever heard of that word? Nihilist? They think that you become worm food and that's it. You live, you die. There's nothing else. But the scripture tells us that we were created in the image of God and we have an eternal soul. That soul, we will always be with Jesus Christ in the resurrection. We will be raised to be with him forever. He knows us. We are one of his. He has reconciled us to God. And as we are laid down in that death, we're raised with that promise of the glorious future. Let's look in verse 6. He says, for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the, that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless. There's no power to sin. There's no power of the control of sin over us. And the body that was once ruled by sin is, is rendered powerless so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin. When we die to Christ, sin loses its power and we have a glorious future living in the grace and the love through our faith in Jesus Christ. In verse 7, he says, Since a person now who has died is free from sin, this is the reason why we are no longer enslaved to sin, since a person who has died is now freed from sin. In verse 8, he says, Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him, because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again, 
death no longer rules over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all time. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you too may consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And I read a little further. But the point is, once Jesus died and was raised from the dead, he conquered sin and he brought to us eternal life. Eternal life is that glorious future that we begin to live now, but we will always live until Jesus returns to take us home with him. That's what it symbolizes as well. Death to our old self and being raised to walk in newness of life. But there's a third thing here as well. And that third thing is called the empowering present in verses 13, 11 through 13. So we just read verse 11. Let's go back there. So he said, you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. The power of the symbol, the, the symbol of baptism is to show us that we no longer are that old creature, that old person, that old individual that was um, bound by sin and ruled by sin. But now we have come in Jesus Christ to be dead to sin and raised up to be alive in Christ Jesus. So since we are dead and alive to God, we are dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ, Paul then enters to tell the Romans that there are at least three things that they can do in their present life. And this empowers us to serve God and to be blessed by him. One of the things he says here in uh, verses 11 through 13 he says in verse 12, therefore do not let sin reign in your uh, mortal body so that you obey its desires. So one of the things in baptism symbolizes that we have died to sin and we are determined now not to ever reopen that door, to go back to that old dead past. So Paul encourages them saying, since we are now dead to sin, don't open the door again to sin. Don't open the door again to going back to let it rule you or reign over you so that you wind up obeying its desires. That's one of the biggest problems of the Christian life is that we turn away from the sin. And we let it, don't let it control us anymore. And we turn to Christ. We walk in newness of life. We're new creatures. We don't need to go back there. I had a gentleman tell me that um, his sin was drinking a little bit too much alcohol. Well, yeah. So I said, well, what are you doing about it? Well, nothing. I mean, I got my uh, liquor cabinet in the house and all that kind of stuff. He said, well, you're telling me you got a problem with this, and yet you're just allowing the problem to stay in your life. That's what Paul is saying. If you have a problem with something, don't let it rule over you. Get rid of it. Leave. Separate yourself from it. This, this empowering presence can be yours because the Holy Spirit can help you have the victory over it and can do that. So that's why even in the Lord's Supper, when we examine our hearts, when we come to watch individuals be baptized, we also examine our hearts. We've been baptized. Are we living 
by yielding ourselves to Christ and not letting sin reign over us anymore. So Paul says, therefore, don't let this sin control you in your mortal body uh, so that you obey its desire. See, some people were saying this again. They were compartmentalizing their faith. They were saying, oh, well, I have a soul and that soul is now saved, but I have a body and I have a mind and it doesn't matter what I do with my mind. I know that I'm saved, but it doesn't matter what I do with my body. And there were actually people who were arguing as long as they were saved in their soul, they could do whatever they well pleased with their bodies. And they were doing bad things. They were uh, connecting like the church at Corinth. They were connecting themselves up with stuff that's down and outright sin. And the baptism symbolized the fact that that life now is dead. We don't allow that to control us. And we're one. We're not several parts. We're not spirit, soul, and body. I mean, it's, we're all one. And Christ has saved us completely. Not partly, but completely. And so we're supposed to not allow sin to rule us. And one of the things in the Christian life is to take the time to repent before God and lay before the Holy Spirit all of us so that the Holy Spirit will begin to convict us of where we need to give up the control to him. Sin comes to us as fascinating, enticing desires, but it's corrupt and all it does is lead to death. And we have to be able to see through that and turn completely to the light, to Jesus Christ. Because in so doing, he gives us what real life is all about. The depth of a joyous, soul-satisfying walk with a Savior who gave himself on the cross. Baptism symbolizes that. So Paul says, since you've been now dead to sin, and now you're alive to Christ, don't undo it. Don't go backwards, go forward. Remember the baptism. I mean, we don't always think about the days that we were baptized. Remember what you did. It's your public testimony that said, I'm a new person. I am now a new creature in Christ. I am now dead to sin. That's all gone. I've got a great future with the Lord. And it begins right now in the present, in the way that I live and what I do. He said, don't compartmentalize your life. Look at verse 13. Do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons for unrighteousness, but as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourself as weapons for righteousness. Paul is talking here to people who are saying, now I went and got dunked. I'm fine. I can do whatever I want to do. I had a college roommate who told me, he said, now don't you tell me any of this religious mumbo jumbo. I have an agreement with my pastor. I got saved. And unfortunately, there were a lot of places where people said, all you got to do is get saved because you get to go to heaven. One day, it doesn't matter what you do until you go to heaven. You can do whatever you want to do as long as you are saved. As long as you've got that heavenly fire insurance in your back pocket. It's written down there, when I was so and so, I said, I want Jesus to take me to heaven. That's all they understand about salvation. And they say, oh, I'm going to get to do whatever I want to do. And that's wrong. 
Paul is saying, don't give yourself, don't give any part of yourself, your mind, your body, your heart, nothing whatsoever to sin. Because when you do that, that sin will control you. Instead, give all of yourself, every part of you, to God to be a weapon for righteousness. See, God wants to use us as servants, as disciples, to show the world what righteousness is all about. He doesn't want us to divide ourselves up, compartmentalize ourselves. Oh, well, I have my religious self. It's for Sunday when I go to church. Then I have my, my, my family self or my work self, and that's the face and the facade that I put on for people to see and yet there's also this little bitty part of me that's my self-centered self. And I'm going to live the way that I want to do it. Paul is saying none of that is, is right. You are all things complete to God. And Jesus saved all of you not to be used as weapons for sin and unrighteousness, but to be servants as disciples to God in everything you do to allow the Holy Spirit to root out that sin and to give you freedom from that sin and to turn from it because you now are under the grace of God. Let's look in verse 14. For sin will not rule over you because you are not under the law, but under grace. See, Paul had already talked about the law. People thought if they kept the rules, then they were okay. But you can't keep all the rules. Nobody's can do that. We're all sinful. All have come short of, of, of God's grace, and we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. He said that in Romans earlier. None of us can stand up before a holy God and put our fingers in our lapels and say, look at me, I'm perfect, because we're not. And Paul is saying here, you don't have to worry about that. What you need to worry about is whether you have been saved through God's grace in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I think this is something to ponder, which is interesting, to help us think about what baptism means, our own baptism, what the baptism meant of these four who came here, and to think a little bit more in terms of the symbol of what Paul's trying to say. We are buried in the crucifixion of Jesus, dead to sin. Then we are raised up like Jesus was raised up from the tomb, to walk in newness of life, alive to God. And now we are beginning to serve him and live for him by understanding that we have a walk before us and that walk is always rejecting ourselves and giving our hearts to Jesus to make him the master and the, the savior of our, of our lives. Don't let sin rule us, but let God's righteousness through his grace guide us each day. The Christian life is a walk that way. Baptism is the testimony that you're going to begin that walk. There's the dead past. Jesus has forgiven you of your sins. There's a glorious future. Imagine what it's going to be down the road to see what God is doing in our hearts and our lives. And right now the empowering present is the fact that Christ is in our lives through Jesus Christ. He wants us to grow in the present right now. We don't have to wait to get to heaven. 
we can have eternal life right now because it began the moment we asked Jesus into our hearts and we begin to live it with him. See, here's the deal. It's not when we go to heaven that we're brand newbies, brand new people, and we don't know what's going on. It's like going home and we're walking in the presence of a savior we have known from the moment we ask Christ into our hearts. Why should we be afraid? Why should we be worried? Because we're going to stand in the very presence of Jesus, our Savior and our Lord. If we understand that's what the Christian life is all about, then we have a wonderful understanding, uh, a peace, a satisfaction that we will always be with the Lord. Whether it's right now in these, these times, in these bodies, in these circumstances, or we go to meet him in the air when he returns, or we lay this old body down, we're going home. And we're being reconciled by the precious blood of Jesus to our God. Baptism is a symbol, is a testimony of that. And Paul is trying to teach the Roman church how to understand it. I hope that it's helped us understand it as well. We're going to have a hymn of invitation, Christ our hope in life and death. And we're going to ask the musicians to come and uh, to lead us in this song. I'll be down here at the front. Um, if you know, don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, we want to ask you to come and let us share with you what it means to know him. Um, if you know him and you're looking for a church home, come and join us. Uh, whatever God may be leading us to do, let's stand and sing our invitation.